Reaching Aging with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is the podcast designed to help you lead your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day. I am your host, Ron Kaiser, positive health psychologist, also TEDx and keynote speaker, and author of the triple award-winning book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. My website is The Mental Health Gym. It's your source of information regarding all kinds of things related to positive psychology, my own spin on it that I call goal-achieving psychology, rejuvenating, wellness, and lots of other related things. It's also the place where you can communicate with me and even suggest guests for future podcasts. As listeners of the podcast know, my goal is always to bring you not just interesting, but informative and entertaining guests who lead their own lives with enthusiasm and can give us their own perspective on how we can be better versions of ourselves every day of our life. And as you may know, I've I've taken liberty with the term rejuvenating, although uh, I've trademarked it as the art and science of growing older with enthusiasm. I think rejuvenating can take place at every age where we're kind of moving forward, always growing, always progressing, and aiming to be best versions of ourselves. But today we have a guest who may have something particularly important for those of us in the second half century of life. I think we're not only going to be talking about rejuvenating, but our guest today probably not only role models it, but probably role models it on steroids. Ruth Yunker is an author, a humorist, and she's been writing for almost 40 years. She's published three books. Two of them are on the joys of being in Paris on her own. And her third, Baby, I'm the Boss of Me, deals with tackling aging vivaciously. So uh, really looking forward to that. Ruth has found that getting older is not the end of the world. In fact, it's the beginning of an amazing journey. This unique part of our lives, and by staying curious and open, by nurturing your sense of humor, it becomes an amazing journey. I think some of you may have heard some of these principles before, so it's such a terrific pleasure and honor and joy to have Ruth Yunker here. Welcome, Ruth. Glad to have you on Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. Well, thank you, Ron, for having me. Well, my pleasure. Really looking forward to what you've got to tell me and my listeners. So maybe, first of all, let me ask you a little bit about your journey to get to this point, because I know people take circuitous routes to become really active agers and people who are prominently promoting active aging. So start any place you want, but tell us a little <laughs> bit about your journey to get here. Well, I always start with, well, I'm 72 years old. And I always, 1949 is a great year. 
I always start with the fact that I had a very well-traveled childhood. We moved a lot. My father was climbing the corporate ladder and I lived, you know, both in Massachusetts and California and Chicago and, and also in my early teens in Brussels, Belgium. And that particular part of my life was a game changer, especially for later on, much later on when I went off to Paris on my own. But being that age, being forced to be a new kid all the time and, you know, just dealing with that. And if any new kid listening knows what I'm talking about, you know, you constantly are behind the eight ball with the way it is at the new place. And you're always playing catch up. And you also learn very early on if you're smart enough to do it and willing to do it, which is all about how you tackle your aging. As far as I'm concerned, you start to uh, really look at people and begin to understand them. You begin to pick up different ways of being. The East Coast is different from the West Coast. Uh, Living in Europe as an American is a totally different situation. And to have that all under your belt by the time you go off to college, it's very helpful. And it's helpful now. I mean, I still move around quite a bit. But that that's that. So there was that. And then I got married very young. I had a couple of children with this that particular husband, divorced him. That's when I started writing. And because I wanted to work from home while I had my children. And also, I've always been a good writer, you know, in school and all that stuff. But and then so there were years of that and divorced him a big period of time in there where I was single, a single mother, which I just loved. And then I remarried. And between us, we had four children under the age of 10 when we got married. Mm. And I lasted 15 years in that one, too. They were both fine men. I'm just. I don't want to be married. I, you know, I just, and so by that time, my mother had died. I'm the oldest children of six, or I mean, I have an older brother, but I'm kind of the mother hen thing. And my mother had died and I had gotten divorced. So I spent the next 12 years living with my father. We had a family beach house in California. So it was very nice duty, but we'd had that beach house for years and years and years. And during that time, I also stopped drinking. And so I stopped drinking at the age of 50. And I had also at the same time taken up yoga. So I did that until my father died. And then I've been footloose and fancy free for the first time in my life. I'm actually living alone over the last four or five years. And I love it. So that's kind of, and I wrote all the way through it, except for a brief period of time of actually teaching yoga. That's the outline. (laughs) That's really an interesting story and uh, helps to put some things in perspective about you. So just it it sounds like, though, that your life in your second half century has been quite a bit different than in in your first half century, where it looks like you were kind of experimenting, building, growing, doing different things, cowgrearing and all kinds of stuff. And it looks like... uh, Based on your experiences, you kind of develop the kind of person you want to be and starting in your 50s. Yeah, you know, I yes, I I wish I'd been more introspective when I was younger because I might not have made some of the decisions or I might have made some other decisions. You know, it seems like a lot of the time I was going with my gut instinct or what I wanted too, because I've always been very headstrong that way. I mean, my first husband and I got married simply to get out of the dorms. In those days, you did not live with your boyfriend. You had to marry your boyfriend. (laughs) And, you know, that's so we got married so we could live together while we were still in college, you know. And so that was I mean, we it was good. Neither husband were terrible and I wasn't terrible. And, you know, so but 
Yeah, it's when I really took control of my life, when I could too, that was after my children were born. I mean, raised off to college and beyond was when I stopped drinking and started yoga at the same time. Those two. And then my writing had always been going along, you know, and getting published here and there and stuff like that. But though between the yoga and the sobriety, I really began to take control of myself, be responsible for where I had gone wrong, make changes. Oh, therapy, did therapy, all, all of that sort of thing. Plus, at the same time, like with my drinking, I was never a falling down drunk kind of person, but I knew I knew it was a problem. And the older you get. So I have found being free of all of that kind of stuff is just just lovely. And it gives you gives gave me the opportunity to besides seeing the big picture of what I wanted. I could zero it in with a lot of people saying, this is what you got to do. And I finally grasp that concept. What is the first step to my dream? And can I do the dream too? I have a very practical side of me too. I'm a Leo, so I'm flamboyant, but I'm also, yeah, well, don't make an idiot of yourself in public, you know? So, but it's something I can do that I know I can do that I've just been too lazy to do or too scattered, like writing full length books that I could actually publish. That didn't happen until after I stopped drinking. And then that was also when I decided to self-publish, to independently publish. I thought I'm way past being the 20-year-old wonderkin. So, you know, I went to Paris that first time for six weeks. It was an amazing trip in terms of amazing about how many amazingly bad things happened too. you know, in terms of domesticity. I stayed for six weeks in my own apartment, not my apartment, you know, an Airbnb. And I did this for like 16 years, often, well, almost every year, except for the few I missed. And it's a whole different experience than when you're staying at a hotel and have a husband helping you with everything, or you're staying in your own apartment where you are in charge of your laundry or getting money back from the appliance that you bought at the Monoprix and they don't want to give you your money back and you're speaking broken French. So I also knew that it would be a funny, a funny book because humor, finding a way to laugh about everything, I just come by it naturally. My family is very funny. We're also quick to anger, so it's a volatile sort of <laughs> but we we've all gotten much better. But it's it's like that, it's that kind of thing all swirling around, you know, as I'm getting older and older. Tons of questions that came. Okay. That. Uh, so it's probably a little bit disjointed, and I don't know in what order, but First of all, just from a curiosity standpoint, is writing what you majored in in college or? English. Mm -hmm. I majored in English. And, and frankly, I dropped out of college after two and a half years. With my parents' permission, I promised I'd go back and finish. But I hated school. I, I was always one of those that she should be doing better type things. I just And I knew I couldn't be taught how to write. And I just, I didn't want to go to school anymore. I was sick of it. So, and I never did go back except when I started writing, um, when I was divorced at 30 and had two babies, I mean, a three month old and a barely two year old. I, at that point was living in Baltimore, Maryland. And at that point I started doing a lot of evening classes at, at Johns Hopkins, at Towson, a lot of week two week long workshops. I mean, I did a lot of schooling for my my writing for years when I started. So, and that was wonderful, of course, because then you actually were being taught how to write or, you know, find your own voice and such. 
What kind of writing did you do aside from the books that we'll talk about in a few minutes? Uh, well, in the beginning, it was all literary. So literary short stories, you know, the kind of thing you read in The New Yorker and you move on down to the to the university press, uh, literary littles, we call them in those days. And I managed to get several stories published in those, which is like gold in that world. I quickly got tired of that being, I mean, you got your whole $25 check and, you know, a pat on the back and do not mention you're writing uh, an astrology column for Ladies Home Journal. I mentioned that to one of the literary littles and they didn't publish my story. He said, oh, you're writing, you write for money. In addition to this, I said, I said, that's right. And he said, okay, sorry. And they didn't publish the story. So I did, I did that. I did, you know, magazine, little magazine articles, book reviews. And during that time, I did also write a very, uh, I think it's a beautiful novel. I haven't been able to publish, I wasn't able to publish it back then. And when I look at it now, and it's very literary, it's a retelling of Noah's Ark. And, and I'm not, I'm spiritual. I don't practice any particular religion raised Catholic now just, you know, between yoga. I mean, so one day I may sit back down and clean it up and make it better because the writing is beautiful. The thing about literary writing is it's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And when you write humor, people don't, a lot of people don't understand that that that's hard to do. Well, uh, another question is, I know listeners have, if they've been listening for a while, know I've had us, a few people who teach yoga, I'm a big believer in it and so on. And while I didn't have your drinking problem, I did, once I got into it, I found that it it just coalesced with a lot of other things and just improved health, eating habits, stuff like that. How, uh, number one, do you still practice? And number two, how has it influenced your life beyond the fact that, uh, beyond the sobriety? Oh, uh, yoga is my go-to for everything in terms of if I have a physical, I have, I also, you know, especially by this age, you know, I have back issues. I have scoliosis and, you know, and an injury to my spine way back in my twenties, that's all healed up, but I, it's a constant issue. I have arthritis in my lower back. And so, um, big pain in the neck. Me too. It's almost by definition, you're going to have arthritis someplace. Yeah. You know, and you know, when, you know, baby boomers, we were hugely overactive. I mean, I ran for years, but yoga is, I find, you know, with a volatile personality, for instance, too, breathing is so important. I've gone through everything from Iyengar to Ashtanga to regular vinyasa and all of that and being highly competitive about it to now where I'm more, I've got my, I just know what I want to do with it, but I help, I find that it's calmed me down or, or allowed me to be able to calm myself down or to lift myself out of feeling low. I don't have trouble with depression, but anxiety is a, it was a huge thing. And that gradually, if I feel any kind of anxiety attack happening or a panic, attack, I just, I was in New York city for hurricane Sandy. And the night it came through, I felt a, um, an anxiety attack. I, attack happening about one o'clock in the morning. I got out of bed. I rolled out my mat and I went through my whole yoga practice. And at the end of that, because of the breathing, at the end of that, I was completely calm. And I think you look really good when you do yoga. It helps your body. (laughs) And uh, of course, anybody could be uh, kind of anxious going through a hurricane. Not me. I grew up in Boston. We had hurricanes all the time. (laughs) I loved it when I was a kid, but yeah, I did feel one coming on. It may not even have been the hurricane. Who knows? But it, and it, 
that's the last time I've actually felt one seriously coming on that I could feel I was going to slip into as opposed to say, hey, get a grip, you know. You're not going to have an anxiety attack right now. That's ridiculous. There's nothing wrong. Did I hear you mention yoga and competitiveness in the same? Oh, yeah. I thought that's not supposed to uh, be part of yoga. Oh, absolutely. It's not. Absolutely. Although, you know, in India, they have yoga competitions, which I completely disapprove of. But there's types of yoga that are more illustriously difficult and namely and specifically Ashtanga. There are also people that like Bikram, but of course he's been totally discredited and I don't like it, the style of yoga. It feels much more military. Yoga was developed, I mean, it's been around for a million years, but there's two types of yoga, Iyengar, and I'll be very quick with this, Iyengar and Ashtanga. And Iyengar is, that teaches you, that's what everyone should start with. It teaches you your body placements. It's very structured, very, you know, there's nothing flowy about it. And Ashtanga is the other, it's acrobatic and the two that, that started each one of them were taught by the same teacher. And Patavi Joy was taught Ashtanga. I don't know, I'm going to get them wrong. It doesn't matter. The one who was taught Ashtanga was a very overactive kid, according to his teacher. And he taught him, this is Ashtanga. This is, there's 27 postures. You go through them. They're very, a lot of twisting, you know, head around your, you know, like that. And with the Ujjayi breathing. And the other one is taught for he was he was very sick the other student very sickly and his um teacher taught him more specific about alignment and all that kind of thing and so um those two are the two extremes but yeah you can get quite competitive about yoga in spite of yourself in spite of knowing that you shouldn't be being competitive about it be always trying to do better you know stretch further get it get the posture more completely correctly so obviously yoga's had a big influence in your life. Can't imagine that Paris hasn't. Can you tell us a little bit about how Paris changed you? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't think it changed me, but it changed my attitude towards people who love Paris because I used to kind of sneer at everyone. It's, it's like a caricature to want to go to Paris that when I was deciding to, that I needed to get away and I needed to get away for a long time, so I settled on six weeks. I didn't want to go to Paris. I wanted to go to any other place. But the reason I settled on Paris in the end is because when I lived in Brussels, Belgium, I learned how to speak French. And even though it was fairly dormant all these years, I was pretty sure that once I got back to Paris, I would the French would come up you know, just enough that you know, it's so much more helpful to know something of the language in foreign countries. I certainly did not want to act like a tourist because I just traveled too much. Tonight. And I lived in nothing more annoying than tourists when you aren't one, you know, and you live in a place where there's lots of them. So I wanted to be a very good American woman on her own, living in Paris, doing it the correct way. So the first trip I, I went with a lot of black clothes. <laughs> Well, anyway, so that's why I, so I chose Paris for that reason. And, and when I had gone to Paris, when I lived in Belgium, I was 12 years old and I just hated it. I was, I looked like a dirtier uh, Brussels to me. And, you know, that was in 1962. So World War II, they, they, they were still scrambling in Europe at that time. You know, it just wasn't as cleaned up and, and things like that. But this time with Paris, I just was okay with the whole part of being in a European country and okay with figuring it out and such like that. But plenty of things went wrong. I'll tell you what did change. It did change me this way. 
When I got done with that first trip and finally got home, I mean, during that first trip, which is in my first Paris book, I had to change apartments. I broke the elevator in one of them. I, when I finally got to the airport to go home, this was before you could check in online. Uh, I got there a little late and they had already overbooked it and I had ended up spending the night. You know, I didn't get to call home that day. I had to go home the next day. But when I got home, I was, I just, for the first time, really realized my own personal, I didn't think of it this way, but my own personal strength that I could go on my own, which I love to do. And I'm the oldest in a family. I had a big family. I've raised children. You know, I wasn't like, oh my God, I'm so afraid. But I still, it was, I just, I did. I felt stronger. And to this day, when I think of traveling by myself, I, you know, the travel part is the bad part, the getting there, right? You know, the, the airports, the, the, the something going wrong. I arrived in Paris one year and all public transportation from the airport into Paris had been stopped. I mean, nothing, no cars. You couldn't pick up your family or anything. I was there by myself. You know, I didn't have a, my husband or friends or, and I had giant bags because I was going to be in Europe for a couple of months. But I got where I ended up getting where I needed to go. You know, it took a while. I mean, it was mass. It was just then that kind of thing. I'm happy right now. When the pandemic hit, I'll tell you, I was one of those perfectly happy to not travel for a while. <laughs> well, what, uh, what general principles did you come away with that, you know, if somebody doesn't have the time or the money or the health to, to do the kind of traveling you did, what principles would you say if somebody wants to begin to take charge of their life, what should they be doing if, if they haven't been doing it already? I am probably should be a lot less impatient with whiners. Now, if you actually are someone who has a, an actual physical problem that you, you're really trapped in and you can't do anything about it other than manage your life, then I, you know, kudos to you. Honestly, that's, you know, someone with chronic pain or, you know, any kind of the exhaustion ones or the ones that, whatever, whatever the situation is. But there's so many people I know by my age, particularly women, that maybe men too, I don't know, but they get to a certain age and it's, I don't know if it's when I say, I don't happen to have any grandchildren. I just have my two children. I have grand pets. Mm -hmm. So the best grand dog you ever want to see and, you know, grand cats. But I mean, I don't know if they settle down or they, I don't know what it is, but I think first of all, it starts with feeling healthy before you worry about money or can't get away, don't have the time. That one, if you're past retirement, that is, I don't buy it. Get over yourself. You can, people can spare you for two weeks, trust me. But um, the health, it, it starts, I think, with being healthy, living a very healthy lifestyle. And if you're overweight, you need to lose weight. Particularly as we get older, it takes more and more effort, don't you find, to stay healthy and vigorous. And, you know, I used to be able to not exercise for six weeks and you couldn't see a thing. Now it's two weeks or a week and I can feel the difference already. And, and instead of thinking of that for me, instead of thinking of that as being a burden, I've, I, for some reason, I'm rising to the challenge of it. You know, my scoliosis in my back, it annoys me. I've lost half an inch in my height, it's just, you know, but I do my back bends, I do my shoulder stands, I, you know, I keep myself as limber as I can be on a regular basis. I get my mat out first thing in, well, I go for a walk, I'm close to the beach, so I can walk on the, where it's a boardwalk. So, you know, you're on a boardwalk, 
walking flat. I can do that every morning. And that's just a great, I get up early. I go to bed early. I, I just take good care of my, my health. I don't, I don't throw it. I don't throw it around. I have fun with food though. You see, I, since I gave up alcohol, I said, all right, that's the only thing you ever have to never have again. You can have anything else you want. And that's the other thing. Give yourself treats. But the no money thing, I, you know, then travel close to home. This is a big country. There's, you know, I bet half the time one doesn't know their town nearly as well as they think. Mm-hmm. Or, or join a, a group or take a class, you know, an extension course at night at the, in the local university if they're there great way to meet. I mean, there's all kinds of things to do. I find people that, that are tending to say, well, I just can't. And I've had people tell me that, that I'll go into that. Oh, I just can't do that because of such and such, you know, take us, take a stronger look at yourself, be more firm. But also my other thing, especially on social, my thing is start. And I started this in the pandemic, really noticing it is start paying attention to the daily miracles that show up in your life that you totally, that you, that you ignore. Starting with the daily habits that we have to do every day. I mean, sometimes it gets, it's time to go to bed and I just wail out, mom, I wish you'd put me to bed. You know, I just don't feel like doing it. I'm brushing my teeth, you know, taking off my face, my doing my hair, taking a shower. But do you have hot water? And if you don't, then I can't help you. (laughs) That first sip of coffee in the morning or tea or proud of the fact you don't drink coffee or tea in the morning. I mean, the the day all the lights are green when you're late to get wherever you're going. These things are for free. They happen constantly every single day. I sign off every single day on Instagram with, you know, have fun finding the magical miracles that are going to show up today in the little everyday in your little everyday life, you can make it amazing if you want to have that attitude. The other thing is being happy is harder than being sad and miserable. It's, it's a known fact, no, and, and it's, it's just one of those things. I'm, I'm very serious, actually. I'm a writer, you know, and so on my, although I'm now, by now, <laughs> I like to pull the age card and say, I'm 72. I don't have to do what I don't want to do, you know, or whatever but kind of laugh at myself. You have to be able to laugh at yourself, but also in the morning, I say, look in the mirror at yourself and smile because you're sending the message to your brain that you're in a good mood, that you're happy with yourself this morning. Even if you don't feel it, the brain is going to be a little bit like, oh, oh, okay. (laughs) Absolutely. And, and, you know, just one of the principles of rejuvenating is to really appreciate the good that permeates your life. Yeah. If you look for it, not that hard to find. That's true. And people say, well, the world is such a disaster. And it yet is. And you know what? And, And it is. And I'm not downplaying any of that. But what can you do about it? Does it do the world any good to have you sitting on your couch staring at the news? I don't even listen to the news. I mean, I have plenty of friends tell me, and I'll sort of check it out a little bit at night, you know. But first thing I put here in the morning is music, not some commentator giving me every bit of bad news. I I have a subscription to the New York Times. I love to do the puzzle, actually. But I will scan it very quickly, you know. And the other day, I almost, oh, I did laugh. Because every little headline on from the ones on the side, the main one, every one of them were bad. Every one of them. 
It didn't matter. There wasn't a single good thing anywhere on the front page of the New York Times. Not magic. If you don't, you know, put forth the effort to create the, the positive vibes, you know, you can't count on somebody else doing it for you, but there's plenty of opportunity to do that. Yeah. And the other thing is there's power in putting out a positive vibe. I mean, some people will act like, well, you're just being uh, uninformed and, you know, and, and you're not whatever, you know, and no, the ones who go around bemoaning the state of things, the, the world's always like this. I'm not saying it's a good thing, but there's always something horrible going on. The good old days do not exist. When you and I were kids, we used to have atom bomb or air, you know, when you had to get underneath your desk to pretend like in case there was bombs going over. Do they do that in schools anymore? Now <laughs> they did then. Dad got us back from Belgium back when we moved to Los Angeles from Belgium. And that was right after the Bay of Pigs. He said, OK, that's it. We're getting I'm getting my family back to the States, you know, or I feel safer. Yeah. Vietnam. Yeah. I mean, I had my my husband luckily had asthma, so he didn't have to go to Vietnam, get himself killed off at the age of 19. I mean, it's all there's always something so more better to look around your house. I have a friend when she got divorced. I'm sorry, not divorced. He died. Her husband died. And she was just, you know, miserable and everything else. And one day she read this idea and she did it. She moved her master bedroom into her living room. And, and when now when you come, you can go through there, but you go in the kitchen and it's all. But she moved her master bedroom into her living room, the most beautiful room in the house. It had a fireplace. It had a view. It was bigger. And it has she has made it this wonderful oasis that's completely turned her whole house and her whole way of thinking things upside down. And all she did was move furniture. Well, I guess that brings us between that and the time. It brings us to the. The most recent book that you wrote, Baby, I'm the Boss of Me, while it's got an intriguing title, (laughs) what do we find out when we read it? Well, it's it's called My Journey to Ageless, and it's the year I turned 70, I was shocked and appalled and didn't want to tell anyone on social media. You know, I mean, obviously my family and friends knew and all that and so on. When I turned 60, I had a big old party for myself. It was wonderful. But 70 was like carrying things too far. And But I mean, I did, of course, talk about it then. But then I turned 71 like that. And then all of a sudden I was 72. I woke up one morning and I was 72 years old. And I looked in the mirror with a smile. And I didn't feel any age whatsoever. It was like that number didn't compute to how I feel, how I look, how I perceive life. And that's when I said, that's when I fully, truly understood the meaning of the word ageless. You know, I have no age. Now, baby on the boss of me means, I think it particularly happens when your children finally get out of probably college and maybe they have moved out for good at whatever age that is, because they come back and go out and all. I came back to my parents even, you know, but baby on the boss of me is kind of how one of your child looks at you and says, you're not the boss of me, that kind of thing. I feel now by this age, I should be able to do what I want and taking into account being a good person and not wanting to go out and do anything stupid, you know, and, and it's wonderful. I mean, for the first time in my life, I can, I can walk in the door of my house and not have to wonder what, who wants what for dinner, you know, things like that. But also it means 
taking responsibility for the parts of yourself you don't like and that other people have told you about and that you're not changing. You know, it's up to you to pull yourself together, you know, and and figure it out. Figure out, at least take, start small. Take one half hour a day in which you don't scream. Write a gratitude list. Do it every day. Write down 20 things in your daily life you're happy about. You know, leaving out the state of the world, please. And what are you happy about within your own doors? What are you happy about in your heart that day? Well, I'm not happy because of this. Well, is there anything about that you can change? No, then put it aside. My son's a psychologist and he says, you have to reframe the story, mom. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard that expression. And, you know, and it's, it's just put a different spin on it. Yeah, well, it's certainly in order to be the boss of you, it certainly is an incentive to do all of the, the appropriate things from the standpoint of maintaining your health, keeping your mind active, staying socially connected and all yeah. the things that we we talk about in rejuvenating. So, you know, again, you're you're an absolute role model for it. So again, we're getting close to <laughs> running out of time, although not out of questions, but Wayne, one is will you run by us again the, the titles of your books and where can we get them? You can get them all on Amazon. And Ruth Yunker. And the first one was Me, Myself, and Paris, and Paris. The second one was called I Paris, I've Grown Accustomed to Your Ways, which is a play on the My Fair Lady, I've Grown Accustomed to Your. By then, I was much more. I mean, I'm actually starting, I haven't been there since 2019. I'm, I'm almost starting to miss it, you know, because when I go there now, I have friends all through B, AA meetings and social media. All kinds of friends there. So I have like a social life as opposed to a seeing the sights life. So it's baby and then baby, I'm the boss of me, which is uh, part, partially memoir, you know, kind of in the first two books, Paris books, I got that comments like, we want Yonker to talk more about her, her past. You know, what was she running away from to, in baby, you know, in the Paris books? And I wasn't running away from anything. Oh, my God. I just, you know, I suffered such pain. I haven't suffered pain. I mean, I've had awkward, terrible moments, but you, you live through them. There's always the other side. There's, oh, I've learned that I, by my age. There is always, there's always a plan B. Have a plan B in mind. That I got through traveling. Mm -hmm. So Baby on the Boss Me, so it's partially memoir and then partially things I do as a woman, you know, to keep myself looking good. Or I, I'm, one, of my, one of my chapters is telling the grown daughter about your facelift. Because grown daughters don't like it when you tell them you're going to have a facelift. Your son doesn't care. Right on, mom, whatever you want. It's great with me. But the daughters, no, until they're old enough to ask you where you get Botox. There's a lot of maintenance like that. But the first one for any of those things is make sure you're healthy inside. Take your vitamins, you know, eat properly. Walk if you can't. I can't move. I'm too sore. Well, I don't know what to say. You know, walk around your living room. I'm sorry. You can't do that. No, there's no hope for you. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, when people say they're too anything, whether it's too slow, too, too old, too emotional to, to do something, you know, that's an excuse. And uh, yeah, yeah. And then AA particularly, and therapy, mm -hmm. you don't you're, you don't get away with that. 
you just, and you always, your therapist is being very nice to you about one time when I first started years ago. And I said, this person did this to me, that person, this person, that, then she leaned back and she said, well, now, so who is the common denominator in each one of these stories? <laughs> me, you know? And in AA, it's always, what is, you know, this went really wrong. You know, well, what was your part in it? What part did you play in it? Well, it was, it's all his fault. No, no. And, and the point of that is not to put blame on yourself, but to take back control. If you know there's a part that you were doing wrong, you that gives you control to not do it again, or at least to know you weren't the victim. It takes the victim role away, this victim thing. Lose it particularly the older you get. I'm, I'm, I'm 82 years old. Actually, most 82-year-olds I know say, I'm, oh, this, thank God it's not so bad yet. <laughs> well, I appreciate that uh, I haven't had to do my job. You've done it for me and, and all the psychology part of it. And I think anybody who's listening who is under 72, uh, you, you can see that it really is part of part of life to get older and be active and really enjoy it. And certainly yeah. anybody is fearful of what it'll be like, you know, listen to what Ruth has to say. It's part of a really great journey. And uh, hopefully uh, we've helped to encourage more of you to embark on it on, in an active way. Aside from getting your books, are you on social media? How can people learn a little more about oh. Well, I'm on Facebook and Ruth Yunker, and it's an open account. And I'm also on Instagram, and that's Ruth Yunker too, but it's Ruth dot, you know, Yunker, because people were saying Ruthie Unker. <laughs> <laughs> so I put the dot there. I still have a few that say Ruthie, but those two are the ones that I like a lot. I, I should be doing more with LinkedIn by now. And oh, and I have a YouTube channel called Ruth. That was going on before uh, the pandemic. And when the pandemic hit, I just kind of went silent and took that all in, I'm sure, as we all have. My next book out is going to more refer to my pandemic ways of thinking at the time. So it's there on, you can see it on YouTube, it's called Ruth, and it's about being older and you know, how to do, trying to keep it under nine minutes or eight minutes or three minutes, practically the best and so on. So, but I happen to love social media in every way. I think I've met people on, you know, on purpose. I don't know them just on social media. If you were closer, I would say, let's have coffee. <laughs> you know, uh, and so it's wonderful. I, I recommend it. I recommend it highly for everyone. Instagram is more photographs. Facebook's gotten a little bit more whiny and political and kind of nasty, actually. And um, Instagram's much more international. Okay, great. So uh, we'll have all this information in the show notes both about how to get your books, where you can get them, and where they can find you. And I'm sure a lot of people will want to find you because, again, <laughs> it's always great when we have somebody who's leading her own life with enthusiasm. It's not just telling us about how to do it, but has demonstrated that she can do it and that, you know, life can be an exciting time no matter where you are in the lifespan. And uh, I wish you many more decades of, of being you and look forward to future books and lots of other things. In the meantime, though, really, really appreciate you're coming on and sharing 
all that you have to share with with me and and the listeners of this podcast. And well, thank you for having me. And I'll just throw in at the last minute. I just signed up for boxing lessons today. Oh, great. Yeah, because I looked up arthritic women over sixty-five. Is boxing good for them? And the answer was yes. Yeah, you may get out there. Surprised that uh, was I guess a couple of years ago. I think it's before the pandemic that. I had a trainer who was who was a former boxer, and we just did regular training. And then one day he said, uh, "You know, you want to learn how to do the boxing." And I mean, it's it's quite a workout because yeah. you're using some muscles differently and different yeah. muscles than uh, you normally do. But it's it's a full body workout, and it's I, yeah. I think you're really going to enjoy it. So, uh, oh, good. Yeah, I hope so. I just thought someone. Anyway, I just did that today. Of course, my daughter says, Mom. I was like, <laughs> Yeah, so congratulations. Uh, you know, again, you're you're walking the walk. You're doing everything that will keep you going like this for a good long time. Thanks for sharing it. And, you know, listeners, we hope that you will tell your friends about the podcast and we'll download it. We'll rate it, review it. Always looking for <laughs> Uh, people to share, you know, the stuff that we provide. And especially today where we've got a really, really active role model that they could benefit a whole lot of people. So spread the word. Once again, remember to visit the website, the Mental Health Gym, and uh, look forward to seeing you next week when we'll have another interesting guest who leads their lives with enthusiasm can help us to do so. Again, note it, check out the show notes. And you'll see all the ways of getting Ruth's books and get, see, being in touch with her. Till next time, take care, have a real good week, stay safe, and looking forward to seeing you all become the best versions of yourself all the time as you move forward with your lives. Take care now.